Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. You guys are sleepy this morning, I can tell. Goodness. Come on. It's the turkey. Everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah. Is there anybody that isn't excited about it being the holidays? I don't say that joking, like I'm being serious. Is there anybody who, uh, maybe the holiday season is a time where when everyone else is excited, traditionally it's been a time where maybe you haven't been so excited, or even maybe you, you say at this time of year I just get down or struggle with even depression during this time. Is there anybody here who would say that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, we just want to pray for you because that's not his heart. You're never supposed to be in a season where depression or, or being down is okay. And that's not, that's not like criticizing you. That's not saying there's something wrong with you. It's saying that we just want to pray for you because we believe that God has better. We believe his plan for your life is still good and to prosper you, to bless you, that he's for you, he's not against you. And he, he did not give his life on a cross for you to sacrifice a few months a year and say, well, I just get it this way every year about this time. And sometimes that thinking creeps its way in and, and, and what happens is we have experience to back up the way that we think. And so because we have experience that causes us to think that way, we start to expect that and even give that permission in our lives in certain times. And without realizing it, we're settling for less than what he has. And we just kind of settle into this thing that says, well, this just happens every year. So if you're one of those people, just raise your hand. I want some believers around you just to put their hands on you, if it's okay with you, and pray for you. So raise your hand up if you would say that, yeah, that you struggle with that. And guys, just find someone close to you and pray for, if you see someone, if you're close to them, just go ahead and pray for them. God, we just thank you. That there's no season that you've ever called us to in our lives, God, to be depressed. To struggle with depression or being down, God. That, that there's always joy. And even if we face hard things, God, even if we're going through a, a season right now, God, that, that is, we feel like maybe this is the first time we're experiencing something alone or something uh, after a, an, an event happened. I know we have families who are struggling with, with going through their first holiday season after something really tragic happened in their life, God, I pray that you would just come even closer during these times, God. That you would change that. That our perspective would be, we look forward to this time of year, God, because of the reminder we have of who you are and what you've done for us, God. That we begin to to break any mindsets right now in Jesus' name that would give permission for less than your best in our lives, God. That we would never settle for less than all you have for us and all you paid for in Jesus' name. Amen. You realize like, like that can happen to anybody at any time. Like you, <clears throat> all it takes is for you to expect something and then that to come to pass for you to start to put your faith in that. Yes, that's, that's, that's really what a lot of life is, is what we put our expectations on and what we expect. Because a lot of times we get what we expect or we see what we're looking for. And if we're, if we're actually allowing something into our lives that's less than what He has, and we begin to put our faith in that and our belief in that, we'll start to see that come to pass, and then it will reinforce that. And it, that's what creates a stronghold. Something that's strong is reinforced. Like when you're doing a concrete wall, you put rebar reinforcement in it. Why? Because you want to reinforce that to make it as strong as possible. A stronghold is just something in our lives that's been reinforced over and over and over and over again sometimes and so when we have those things what we have to do is we have to go to him and just be honest before him like listen 
this, this life is not about painting a smile on. If he said his joy is your strength, then he really meant for his joy to be your strength. Not for your fake joy to look like you have strength. There's nothing that's supposed to be faked. And so it's not a paint a smile on and, and just act like everything's okay. And when someone starts talking about the word or when I get around other people that are talking about something, agree with them while inside I know that my life doesn't align up with what I'm hearing. It's about getting before him and saying, God, okay, if this is true, you're God. Like, don't forget, he's God. He's big enough for you to come before him with your questions. He's not offended by them. He's not up in heaven scolding you or saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're wasting my time with this. He loves you, and he would way rather have you come before him with an honest question than live before him with a dishonest lie and try to fake something. And I don't mean that like harshly, like, you know, hiding a lie or something. I'm saying like, just saying like, well, God, I know this is what you said, so I'm just going to act like this is true even though I don't see it. And I'm going to, for all the world to see, everyone will think that I'm living in what you said that I should have. No, get before him and start asking him questions, honestly, like, God, this is what you said. And your word says you're not a man that you should lie. But what I'm seeing in my own life and what I'm seeing around me and what I'm experiencing doesn't line up with what your word says. And I know that you're not a liar, God. I know that your word is true. And I know that if you said it, I can count on it. But I need to see, God, would you show me what I'm missing. Because I know that in you there's perfection. I know that you're perfect. I know that as for you, your ways are perfect. That you're not a man that you should lie. I know that you're trustworthy. I know you're faithful. God, but I'm not seeing this, so could you just show me what I'm missing? And just be honest with him. And actually come before him and bear your heart. Like if you never have done that in prayer, or it's been a long time, get before him. He already knows it's not for his sake, it's for yours. You're opening yourself up. That's what intimacy is. I open myself up and allow him to come in. That's the truest sense of intimacy. is to be vulnerable before him and open myself to him and allow him to come into me. Allow him into my situation. Allow him to speak into what it is that I'm dealing with. Believing that he wants to. Not like with this idea that, well, God, I guess, you know, if I force you to. Believing that it's fully his desire to have an intimate relationship with me. Otherwise, we're going to have a form of godliness and be lacking the power. The power of God is to transform our lives, not just to transform our words. It's not just so that we have a Facebook status that everybody likes. It's so that we live a life that Jesus died for us to live. You've got to get beyond. Like, guys, listen. Don't be okay living less than what you see promised in the Word. Like, you know, the Bible says be content in all things. That means that as today, like, I'm content in knowing that I have Him, and that's enough for me. But it also says that He, dilig he rewards those who diligently seek Him. Meaning what? I'm content with what I have, but I'm still hungry. Like, God, I'm thankful for what I have, but I know there's more, and I can't settle until I have everything that You said that I could. Because not, not just for my sake, but because I owe it to the world around me to be an actual representation of what it is to follow Jesus. Because people look at my life, people look at your life, they know that you follow Jesus and they're looking at your life and they're seeing what it is to have someone model walking in relationship with Him. Come on. Come on. 
I feel like, just stand up real quick. I'm serious. Everybody just stand up real quick. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm serious. Because sometimes you just have to do something to shake yourself out of whatever it is, okay? So I want everyone to do, just do this. Just put your hands above your head. Go ahead. It's okay. And just yell at the top of your lungs, Jesus. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wait, wait, so wait, when's the last time you did that? Probably last night at the game. No, they weren't yelling Jesus at the game. Well, the Carolina fans might have been yelling Jesus, (laughs) because he was their only hope last night. (laughs) No, no, when's the last time that you actually stood and just shouted out to Jesus? And just shout at his name. Listen, if, if he's in your heart, he's going to come out of your mouth. The Bible says out of the overflow of our hearts, our mouths speak. You can actually listen to yourself and pay attention to what's been coming out of your mouth and you can find out where your heart is. That doesn't mean like you evaluate your salvation day by day. Like, look, you're born again. You're eternally found in him. Jesus said, those who the Father has given to me, no one can take them from my hand. We're not talking about salvation. We're talking about living the life that he died for us to live. There's so much greater than just being saved. You guys, because your salvation isn't just one day I'm going to go to heaven when I die. It's I get to know him and be with him now. If this is eternal life, that they would know you, the one true God, and believe in the Son of you sent, I can actually have relationship with Him now. That's when eternal life starts. And so it, you can actually look at, and you can log, and you can just think about it. You can get to the end of your day and go back and start looking through your day and see what was coming out of my mouth today. And it'll show me really quickly where I've set my heart. This is this honesty thing, you guys. Listen, if we're going to really follow Jesus, then we have to be okay saying, sometimes I don't do everything right, but I'm not okay staying there. I'm not giving myself a hall pass to stay there, but I have to be honest with myself and say, you know what, sometimes I don't get it right. Sometimes I miss it. Sometimes I wake up and my mind is on everything but Him for so many reasons, but that's not what I desire. That's not what my heart wants. And I'm not okay not being okay. I'm not okay living a life apart from Him. Come on, it has to be this thing where it's like, God, I want you. And I know that I want you. And then sometimes I don't feel like I want you. Because my feelings will lead me in 17 other directions, God. That's why I have to put a stake in the ground that says, like, He's worth it and He's more important. And whatever it is that's trying to pull my attention, listen, if there's something that's pulling your attention away from Him, it's an idol. Okay, the the idols don't just have to be carved statues. In fact, in America, there's very few carved statues, but there's a lot of idols. Because anything that would take your attention before him, anything you would have to check with before him, that's how you know that you've made man your idol. If your first thought is what will people think in any situation, then you've made people an idol over God. Because our first thought should be, what is his thought on this? God, what do you think about this? God, what will you think? Any t- anybody that you have to check with before you think about God's opinion on something, you be- better be careful because there's a good chance you're making an idol of them in your life. I'm telling you. All right. I feel like, I feel like grabbing some of you and shaking you. <laughs> in, a, in the best, most loving, pastorly way. Um, 
So I, we talked about last week about being transformed by the renewing of our mind, and, and, uh, and I feel like there's something that I want to add onto that that God was just really even speaking to me about. Um, <coughs> if you have your Bible, open up real quickly to Psalm 103. Um, there's a verse in there that really stands out, and then we're going to move over to the book of Mark um, in a little bit, but let's pray. God, I just thank you that you're never lackadaisical towards us. God, I thank you that you're always passionate about us, God. That you're always excited about us. God, that you always believe that today is the day of salvation for somebody. God, that you always believe that today is an important day that was created and will never happen again. And that every one of us is on this earth for a purpose and a reason. And that this day is just as important as any other day. I just ask God that, that that knowledge would invade our thinking, God. That we would wake up every day mindful of the fact that today happens one time. And that we're here for this day, in this place, at this time. And that we're not an accident, we're not an afterthought. We're not extras. God, that we all have an important part in the way this day plays out. And that you really do have a plan for our day. I just ask God that that would invade our thinking. That we'd be so mindful of that in Jesus' name. You realize that, that every single day that you wake up, it was never a throwaway day. God never said, well, that day doesn't matter. I have really important things on this day, but these days are ju- just get through these days until you get to the good stuff. Like this is the good stuff. Every single day is full of His goodness. His mercy is new every single day. And every day that you're alive on this planet, you're alive to look more like Him, to be fashioned and shaped more into His image, and to bring the kingdom of heaven wherever you go. When you live with an awareness that you have the kingdom of heaven inside of you and that everywhere you go, you bring that, it'll start to change the way that you think because you'll walk into every situation not just to do what you're there to do. Like that's important. Be a good worker. Be a good employee. Don't don't think that that's an excuse to not do the things that you're called to do by your employer. But I'm saying, like, even when you go to work, in the process of doing what you're called to do, you bring the kingdom of heaven into every circumstance and into every instance. So when you're with people and you hear someone talking about the headache that's been bothering them for three days, you're there because that's not the will of God for their life. Come on, we have to get these things settled in our minds that, like, if... If Jesus was there and someone said, my brain has been hurting for three days straight, what would he do? Come on, he would do something. He wouldn't just look at them and go, oh, that's awesome. Hey, can you pass me that box of paint? Why? Because he fully believed that everywhere he went, he was the answer to everything he faced. When we get an understanding of that, we'll live differently. When you understand, when I understand, when we actually believe that quite possibly God put us in the situation He put us into because He wants us to be the answer to the problems that are there because of the kingdom of heaven inside of us, we'll start to live differently. We'll start to see everything differently. It'll change the way that we see. It'll change the way that we think. And knowing the Word and believing the Word and actually considering the Word of God. That's what we talked about last week. Like thinking about this, that the way that I think... If I, if, like, if I just got born again, just say I did yesterday at 39 years old, I would have to come to this realization at some point in my life that the way that I think up till now has probably off in a lot of, is probably off in a lot of areas. That I've been taught by everything but the gospel. 
that I've had the way that I think shaped by everything other than Jesus. That's not to say that everything would be wrong because hopefully, you know, my parents, if, they, if I was raised in a godly home, they taught me godly things and that shaped my thinking. But ultimately, inside of me, if I'm just getting born again, I was alive for me. I was alive for self. I hadn't denied myself. I hadn't been re- crucified with Christ and raised the newness of life in Him. And if that's true about me, then that means a lot of the way that I think was shaped by me, by self, by the world, by the wisdom of this world, by the wisdom of man, and things so contrary to the gospel that I have to be honest with myself and say, you know what, it's time for me to analyze the way that I think about things and bring it into subjection to Jesus. And actually consider it in light of the Gospel. And hold my thinking and my way of living up to His standard and say, does it look like Jesus? Can I see Jesus doing this? Can I picture Jesus saying these things that I say? Can I picture Jesus having the attitudes that I have? Come on, it's not, it's, it's not like He's a mystery. We can find Him in the Word. We can find what he was like. We can see the way that he thought. He talked about it. He modeled it. He lived it. So if the way that I live is incongruent with the way that Jesus lived, then I owe it to the world around me to actually say, okay, the way that I live and the way that I think doesn't line up with Jesus. Something has to change, and he's never going to change. So that means it has to be me. I have to actually abandon. That's what he was talking about in Isaiah. It's not you'll never figure me out. I've heard that preached at so many funerals, and I want to just, I sometimes, I, I, Patty starts squeezing my leg because I tense up, because when, when something happens that we don't understand, sometimes we bring in Isaiah 55, and we say, well, you know, his ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and we use that as this catch-all, meaning we'll never figure him out. That's not what he's saying in Isaiah 55. I'm not saying there's never anything that we won't understand in the moment, but I am saying this, Isaiah 55 is not that. That's not what that's about. It says, let the foolish man abandon his thoughts and the wicked man abandon his ways. For my ways are higher than your ways, says Lord, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. What's he saying? Stop living and thinking foolishly and wickedly because the way that I think and the way that I call you to live is so much better. That's what he's saying. He's not saying, I'm, you'll never figure me out. Read it in your Bible, Isaiah 55. He's saying, abandon wicked and foolish thinking and ways, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. What's he saying? The way that you think is not the way that I think. So if you have to make a choice, I would abandon the way you think, because my ways are better. As, as far as the heaven is above the earth, so much higher are my ways than your ways and my thoughts, your thoughts, says the Lord. What's he saying? It's an invitation. The very first sentence in that whole excerpt is abandon, but foolish and wicked people abandon foolish and wicked ways. Why? Because my ways are so much better. My thoughts are so much higher. It's not a, hey, you'll never figure me out, and here's a catch-all. We use that as a catch-all, guys, and we're abusing the word. You know, something happens that doesn't line up with what we believe to be the will of God, and rather than asking questions, and you know, the disciples at least had the honesty and the integrity when they didn't see something happen to go to Jesus and say, why couldn't we do that? Why couldn't we? They at least had the integrity to say, you, you said we had, Jesus sent them out and he said, I give you authority over every power of the enemy. You realize there's not one power of the enemy that the disciples didn't have authority over. 
And I promise you, if we live in the same world and we face the same enemy, we've been given the same power and the same authority because He didn't give the disciples something and tell them to go and live a certain way that He's not going to give us so that we can read about what He was like but never experience who He is. Come on. It's never, right? Never, ever, ever. Why would He do that? That would be a frustrating thing for us to have this model. And all we would do then is look back and remember the good old days when God did this or when God would or all that stuff. No, no. He's given the same authority to every single person that believes in Him because the authority is in His name. And that's what we've been called into. So listen. So He's not saying, here's a verse that anytime something happens that you don't understand, you can use. In fact, it's actually probably an invitation into this. If you don't understand, it's because you're not thinking the way that I think. If you're not seeing, it's probably because your ways don't line up with my ways. Because the first thing He calls you to do is abandon that stuff. See, He's not saying, hey, what you have is bad. Abandon it. Because what I have is better. Oh, you can't have what I have. Come on, that's, if we take that verse to mean that, this is what we're saying that God's doing. God's saying, what you have is bad. It's wicked and foolish. You should abandon that. What I have is way better. It's way higher. You, oh, oh no, you, you can't have what I have. I'm not offering you something. I'm just telling you what I have is better and what you have stinks, so you should abandon what you have. But there's nothing that is uh, available to you. Come on, read this in context and realize that God is not a frustrating Father. He's not a God that taunts us and holds Twinkies in front of us and says, oh, just a little bit farther. That's not what He's doing here. We have to be honest with the Word. Here's the other thing. When were you foolish and wicked? You realize that Jesus told us not to call anyone a fool. When were you foolish and wicked? Come on, it's not. It's not. I promise there's no trick questions today. Before you were born again. Before you became the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You were really foolish and really wicked. And you did a lot of foolish and wicked things because that was the nature that was inside you. But you were called to abandon that. You were called to actually die together with Christ and be raised to newness of life in Jesus. He actually says you're no longer foolish and wicked. He calls you holy. This is Every bit of this is in your Bible. He says, don't you know that God's temple is holy and that is what you are? Meaning what? You're no longer foolish and wicked. Why? Because you abandoned your foolish and wicked ways when you actually died to yourself and died and were born again into Christ. Now that you've been born again into Christ, you're no longer foolish and wicked. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're holy. This is what He says about you. So, so, so anyway, so here's the deal. Isaiah 55 is actually God's invitation. It's a prophetic invitation into what He has for us. His thoughts and His ways, which are so much better and so much higher than our wicked and foolish thoughts and ways. And we have access to them because Jesus said that everything that is mine, the, Fa- the Father has given everything to me and everything that's mine, the Holy Spirit will take and make known to you. Paul says we have the mind of Christ. Do you think the mind of Christ thinks foolishly? 
Come on, we got to take all of Scripture. We can't just take a verse and nitpick it because it feels good in a moment. We have to actually consider that there's a whole council of Scripture and actually take what the whole council of Scripture says. So Paul says, who can understand the mind of the Lord? But we have the mind of Christ. So you can't claim to have foolish and wicked thinking if you have been told by the Word that you have the mind of Christ, because I promise you there's not a foolish or wicked thought in His mind. And you have access to the mind of Christ because you're in Christ. So that means you can actually think the way that He thinks. It means that He actually wants you to think the way that He thinks because He told you to abandon yours because His is so much better. Just, I'm telling, I don't know why I have to say this so many times, but, but I'm, someone's, I can feel that you're struggling with this, but listen to me. If you had a sandwich, listen, if you had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, yes, and you dropped it in the sand at the beach, ever, ever, do you ever eat a gritty sandwich? Oh man, I grew up in South Florida. I ate so many gritty peanut butter and jelly sandwiches at the beach, it's unbelievable. And, and, and you would just crunch those things, but you were so hungry and you wanted to get back out in the water so badly that when your mom said you have to eat this, you just devoured it, sand and all, right? But if we're at the beach together and you have this peanut butter and jelly sandwich and you drop it and you pick it up and it's covered with sand and I walk up to you and I say, hey, you should probably take that and throw it in the trash because I've got sandwiches that are so much better. And you went and threw yours in the trash and then walked over and said, okay. And I said, oh, no, I'm not. what, you thought I was going to give you these? No, I was just telling you throw that away. Yeah, but you said that yours was better. Well, it's way better. You see how foolish that seems when we take that and put that into context. But yet we've taken a verse that says exactly that and twisted it to mean that. We've twisted it to be, well, you know, his ways and thoughts are higher than ours. Yes, they are. So we should probably accept his invitation to thinking and living the way he's called us to think and live. Because you'd look at me like I was crazy if I said, oh no, I, I don't plan to give you this. I was just pointing out that mine's way better than yours. Yeah, but you, you told me to throw mine away. Well, yeah, because it was horrible. It's sand all over. It was foolish and wicked. Okay, so I did that. But now what? Well, I don't know, but you're not getting mine. <laughs> he would never do that. He's never asked you to give up something without having something to replace it that's better. He has ne- Jesus even said this about regular things. Listen, about natural things. He said nobody will give up house and mother and father and brother and home and all these things except that they will receive a reward in the next life and in this life. This life, in this life, in the next, but also in this life. In other words, I've never asked you to give up something that I wasn't prepared to give you something better to replace it with. Ever. And this is no different. So, so when we... Yeah, so, so that's, that's what being renewed by trans, the, uh, transformed by renewing our mind is. Is actually considering that the way that I thought might have been influenced by foolishness and wickedness and that He has a better way. And finding Him in the Word. And finding what He says and what He believes and the way that He responds to things in the Word. And believing that it's so much better than what I had. That He asked me to abandon what I had because He wanted to give me something better. But He can't... Listen, you can't put new wine in an old wineskin. 
they can't dwell together. You can have one or the other. If you will give up one, you can make room to receive the other, but you can't have both. You can't hold on to your own rights and yet receive His righteousness. You can't hold on to your right to be right and, and, and receive from Him the peace that passes understanding. You can have one or the other, but you get to choose. That's why He says, I want you to abandon first. Why? Because when I give up and surrender, then I make room for Him to come and give what He wants me to have. But it always requires me giving up so that I can receive. Always. Every time. So when I come to that place and I'm like, you know what? I realize this. God, okay. I see this. I see that the way that I think and the way that I live is probably influenced by things other than the gospel. And I find him. Then when my life is yielded to him, I start to experience his goodness, right? And I'll experience freedom, not just from sin, but freedom to actually enjoy life the way that I was created to enjoy it. To walk with Him and to know Him and to be free from everything that kept me from knowing Him fully and being able to come before Him and love Him. And so when I experience that, there's a secondary part of this, and that is this, that the way that I think has to change based on what I experience. Otherwise, here's the problem. This is the danger that we can run into. I can be someone with a bunch of stories about what God has done but someone with no expectation of what he will do, or even worse, no belief that he may actually want to use me to do something that he did for me in the past. See, think about the disciples. So in Mark chapter 4, um, and you can turn there if you want to, uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Jesus comes to them and tells them something. He told them of bunch of times which is to get into a boat two things i've realized reading the scriptures about the disciples and boats one they were horrible fishermen unless jesus was with them every time he asked if they caught anything their answer was no that's why they just threw their nets and followed him when he said i'll make you fishers of men they stunk at fishing anyways yeah i mean did they ever catch anything apart from jesus that you can read about no they were horrible fishermen. I mean, they'd fish all night and not catch anything. He said to them a couple of times, have you caught anything? No, we, we fished all night. Throw your net on the other side. Well, I mean, we fished all night. We haven't caught anything, but since you said to, we will. But they were horrible fishermen, for one. For two, don't get in the boat. Or if you get in the boat, make sure that you actually believe that he told you to get in and then trust that for the rest of the process. See, so many times we find ourselves in a boat that he called us to get into, but once we get into the boat, then we start to act like it was our idea and like we have to steer the ship. Because they get into the boat because of what? A word from him. The only reason that you should get into a boat, the only reason that you should get into something, that you should put yourself into a situation is what? Having a word from him. But once you realize that you're in there because of a word for him, let that word sustain you for the rest of the trip rather than grabbing the oars and feeling like it's your responsibility. If he started it in faith, he'll finish it through faith. They get into the boat because he told them to get into the boat, but then as soon as the wind comes, they take it upon themselves to say themselves. When did he ever say, get into the boat, go into the middle, panic, and, and, and just about die, and then call on me? That's not what he called them to do. He said, get in the boat, and let's go to the other side. And we talked about this before, right? So once he spoke that, now they understand his heart. His heart is not for us to get in the boat, go in the middle, and drown. 
So that thought should never enter their thinking because Jesus never mentioned it at all. That doesn't mean that they don't face a storm and that the opportunity to doubt doesn't come. Listen, you may be doing exactly what God's called you to do and you may be facing a storm and you may be really tempted to be like the disciples and freak out and think that Jesus forgot about the fact that He called you to do something. Because that's what they did. They woke Him up. Don't you care that we're going to die? What are they saying? Uh, Have you forgotten? that you told us to go across? As if Jesus told them to get in the boat and go to the other side and then went to sleep and totally forgot about the fact that He had called them to go to the other side of the lake. That's not what happened. And yet they act like that, right? So, so here they are, and it says on uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 35, it says, on the same day when evening had come, He said to them, let us cross over to the other side. There's a declaration. Everything they needed was contained within that one word. Let us. Who? Us. You guys and me. That's an important part of it. He didn't say, I want you guys to go to the other side. He said, let us go. Meaning what? I'm going with you. You have full confidence to know that as you go where I'm calling you to go, I'm coming with you. So he says, let us go to the other side. What's contained in that? The fact that they're going somewhere and that they will get to where they're going. Because he said, let's go to the other side. He didn't say, hey guys, let's go for a sail and, and see what happens. He said, Let's go to the other side. Not, let's get in the boat unless a storm comes, and if a storm comes, then come find me, and we'll figure out what to do from there. That's not what he called them to. He said, let us go to the other side. So it's real clear. We are going to get in the boat together, and we're going to end up where we're supposed to be, because that's the other side. So within that is all they need. So then it says, now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. Why? Because he doesn't care about the storm. He knows exactly where they're going, and he has complete faith that if the Father... Remember, I only do what I see the Father doing. So that means he saw, he heard, I only say what I hear the Father saying. These words I speak are not mine, but the Father's who's in heaven. So I'm only telling you what the Father's saying. So if God... If I saw him telling us to go across the water and I heard him saying, let's go to the other side, I have everything that I need. There's no point in me even being awake at this point because there's nothing that can change from what God's told me to where God's called me to that I have to worry about. And sometimes we stay up all night and we can't sleep because of something far less than a storm. Come on, you can, re- you can, you can understand. That I promise you, you, a good way to gauge where your level of faith is is what size storm does it take to keep you up at night? Jesus faced a really big storm where men who spent their life on the water were terrified and yet he was sleeping. Why? Because he has complete faith, 100% faith that he's going where the Father called him to go. There's nothing that's going to stop him. And so they come to him. He was in the stern asleep on a pillow and they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? The only way that you can be terrified in a situation like that is if you actually believe that he doesn't care or doesn't know. They woke him up and said, don't you care that we're perishing? Meaning what? The only reason that Jesus isn't speaking right now is because he's unaware of the storm is what they're thinking. Let's go wake him up. Listen, he may not be speaking because there's nothing more that needs to be said because he's already told you everything that you need to get you from where you are to where he's called you to be. You don't have to wake him up and make him aware of the storm. Sometimes you just maybe should snuggle up on the pillow next to him and go to sleep with him. 
and trust that what he's called to be will come to pass and that my faith is in him, not in my ability or in the storm. Come on, they could have. Any one of them could have, especially John. He just snuggled up next to him, right? He's asleep on a pillow. Well, wouldn't that have been funny if one by one they would have sent people down to talk to Jesus and when no one came back up, they sent another. And by the end of it, every one of them was sleeping next to him to where they were all crowded around him sleeping in the bottom of the boat. Wonder if the boat would have made it to the other side like it was supposed to. Wonder if what he spoke was good enough. Wonder if everything they need wasn't contained in his voice. Wonder if you don't need to wake him up terrified. You actually need to just find that place where you can lay next to him and go to sleep and trust that what he spoke will come to pass. They could have. So he says, they say, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? See, but here's their mindset. Whenever we get to a place where we believe that he doesn't know or doesn't care, we'll start to fear. Why? Because if I know that he knows, I can't be fearful. And if I know that he cares, I can't be afraid. If he knows, then he cares. Because it says that his eye is on the sparrow. They see that the feather falls. How much more is his eye on you? Right? How much more does your heavenly father care about you? So if I know that he knows, then I have to believe that he cares. So they go to him and say, don't you know, don't you care that we're perishing? He arose, he rebuked the wind, said to the sea, peace be still. The wind ceased, there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? He doesn't say, well done guys. You realized that you were supposed to turn to me. You passed the test. It's not what he says. Does he want us to depend on him? Yeah, but sometimes our dependence on him actually looks like us being able to lay next to him and go to sleep in a storm rather than waking him up and acting like he doesn't care. He says, why do you have no faith? What's he saying? I already spoke. That should have been enough for you. We, we don't understand this because we read this in the context of you know the disciples and Jesus and stuff. But they sat there and had to hear Jesus say, why is it you have no faith? And he wasn't asking rhetorical questions. He was genuinely asking them, wait a minute. Like, you guys heard what I said, obviously, because we're in a boat. So you got the first part. You heard what I said. Why are we in this boat? Well, because you said, let's get into the boat. Okay. Why are we sailing in that direction? Well, because you said, let's go to the other side. Where are we at? Well, we're somewhere in the middle. So why are you waking me up? This is what he asked him. Why is it you have no faith? What was he saying? He's saying, why don't you trust me? Why don't you trust me? You're waking me up and coming to me terrified is not really a revelation of your trust in me. It's actually a revelation of your distrust of me. Because you don't trust me completely, the only way that you trust me is if I actually do something. What's he saying? 
Guys, there's a place that you can live in him where you actually trust him even when you don't see him doing something because you know what he spoke and you know what he said. He says to disciples, he says, why, why is it you have no faith? Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Mark chapter 8, verse 13. <clears throat> and he left them and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. And the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It's because we have no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? And said to him, twelve. Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets of fragments did you take up? And they said, I'm sorry, he said twelve. And then they said seven. So he said to them, how is it you don't understand? Okay, so beyond the obvious, you know, which is when Jesus says, let's get in the boat and go somewhere, they should just trust that they get in the boat and go where he said to go. They, in both of these instances, they ask him a question. And in both of these instances, Jesus responds to their concerns. Or, I'm sorry, in both of these instances, they're concerned. And in both of these instances, Jesus responds to their concerns with questions. And in both of them, he responds to them not based on what's happening in the moment. He says, how is it that you don't understand? Why do you have no faith? in the boat when the storm's coming. And when they come to him and talk to him about the bread, and he asks them the questions about the bread, he says, don't you remember? And he points to what he's already done. What's he saying? You guys, when I did those things, everything that you've seen me do up to this point was not just so that you could be convinced that I can do things. Everything I've done up to this point was to convince you of my heart towards you and what I'm like, so that when you find yourselves in a similar situation, you don't have to come to me panicking like you did the first time. It was okay the first time. But after I revealed who I am and what I'm like to you, and I made a revelation of, of, of my ability to supply, it's not okay for you to ask me the same question over again because all that means is that you didn't take from that experience what you're supposed to take from that experience. They thought they were supposed to take bread. Jesus doesn't care about the fact that they didn't take bread. He's saying what matters is you didn't take from that instance and you didn't take from that moment what you need to sustain you the next time you find yourself in a moment. Because if you saw me feed so many people with, with seven loaves, how in the world could you ever doubt that I could feed 13 with one? That's what he's pointing out to them. That's why he starts asking them questions about math. It's not because he's trying to give them a formula. Like, hey guys, X amount of people times X amount of loaves equals this much leftover because the time he starts with less, he actually ends up with more leftover. All right, it's just that's, I think that's there just so that we don't ever try to make a formula out of things. But what he's saying to them is this, I fed 5,000 with seven loaves. I fed 4,000 with this many loaves. You guys have 13 and you got one loaf. Even if you're thinking naturally, you should realize that if I can feed thousands with seven, I can feed a dozen with one. But the problem isn't bread. 
The problem is, is that you don't see me as the one who wants to provide and who will make sure that everything you're called to do, you have everything you need to do it. And because of that, you find yourselves looking at your lack of bread rather than looking at me. This is what he's trying to point out to them. It's not so much that they didn't remember to bring bread. It's that they didn't take the one thing from that experience. It doesn't even matter how many baskets they didn't take. If they would have taken the one thing from that experience that they needed, which was the revelation of Him as the one who provides, they would never find themselves again in a question where they could be fearful or worried. They would never find themselves in a situation where they're fearful or worried based on what they don't have because they do have Him. This is what he's saying. In each of these situations, and listen to this, when I was reading that story about the storm, I felt like the Lord showed me this. You can only be rebuked for fearing or not acting in something that you have authority over. Jesus could only rebuke them for their lack of faith because their faith should have kept them through the storm. He, listen, remember the principle of the servant? Uh, the parable of the talents? He rebukes the one who didn't do anything with it. Why? Because the one that, that didn't do anything with it had authority over what he was given to extend the reach and the influence of the kingdom. And because he had authority over that, and because he was given that for a reason, he could be rebuked. If they had no ability, if there was nothing that they had that would, that, to keep them from being fearful, he can't rebuke them for it. All he can do is say, guys, I, I get it. You're scared, and I understand that it's because you don't know what I know. If you knew what I knew, then you wouldn't be afraid the way that you are. But he doesn't do that. I don't rebuke Jackson for not doing something that he lacks the ability to do. But if he has the ability to do it and I tell him to do it, if he doesn't, then he gets rebuked for it. The only thing Jesus could rebuke his disciples for was something that they had the ability to actually do. And so I promise you, if he called you to do something, even if you're in the middle of this pond right now and the waves are starting to come, the last thing you need to do is start running around pretending that you don't have what you need to do it. All you have to do is just remind yourself, wait a minute, this is what he told me to do. I'm here because he called me to be here. I've done that so many times with this church, you guys. When we ran into things, and trust me, there's been storms. There's been waves. There's been wind. Like everything is not perfect all the time. People have even become angry. I know, you'll find that hard to believe. I do too. I'm like, why would someone not like me? I genuinely wonder. I'm pretty awesome. (laughs) And so I'm shocked. Shocked. And then they delete Patty off Facebook. It's what happens every time when someone gets offended with me. She can check her Facebook page and they're no longer friends with her. Because I don't have a Facebook, so it's like, well, I'm mad at him and I'm going to delete her. It happens every time. Poor Patty bears the brunt of it. No, I'm serious. Listen, this stuff happens. Like, people get angry sometimes. Everything isn't perfect. I don't do everything perfect, so sometimes I give people opportunity. Once. Every other time wasn't mine. No, I'm just kidding. No, I do. I'll give people opportunity sometimes because I'm not perfect. But I promise you this. There's been so many times where I could have went to him and said, God, don't you care? Don't you hear what they're saying? Don't you see what they're doing? God, why don't you care about this stuff? As if the storm is evidence of him not caring. 
No, the storm just means you live in a world that is not perfect. Surrounded by people that aren't perfect. That has nothing to do with him not caring. Has nothing to do with him not knowing. And sometimes the storm comes to reveal to us our lack of dependence or trust in Him. And sometimes, if we're not careful, because we can never picture Jesus rebuking us, because we can never picture Him talking to us the same way He talked to the disciples, we'll take our running and waking Him up and being terrified as a sign of our faith in Him. And He would look to us and say, why is it that you still have no faith? You woke me up and accused me of not caring because you don't have faith and you don't understand. Look, that, I know that sounds kind of harsh. But the truth of the matter is, is we have to grow up. When I was a child, I thought as a child, I did as a child, I spoke as a child. When I became a man, when I grew up, I put away childish things. That applies to a lot of things. But I think part of that would be Paul, if we took that to this situation, would be, look, when you were a little kid and you didn't understand, it was okay for you to be afraid and run to your dad and wake him up and tell him about the storm. But when you became a man and you understood his heart and you began to understand and grow up into the principles of God, it's not okay for you to live the way that you lived when you lacked understanding. Hopefully the understanding you've gained has changed the way that you actually live that's what transforms us is when what we learn and and grow in and understand about him actually changes our actions to the point where instead of running down there and waking him up and accusing him of not caring or not knowing we actually lay down next to him and go to sleep because we trust him proof that you trust him isn't that you're freaking out and that you turn to him when you freak out Proof that you trust Him as you look at the storm and say, He didn't call me to drown. He didn't call me to die. There's a storm. It doesn't end here. In fact, there's not really anything I can do at this moment, so I'm going to go down where He is and sleep. Because He's going where He's called me to go. And He said He would never leave me or forsake me. Whereas like, what Jesus was trying to show the disciples, and this, I'll just, I'm just going to close up with this point, is you realize that, that it wasn't Jesus that fed the 5,000? It wasn't. It was the disciples. He said, you take the bread and give it to the people. Now, he had to bless it, meaning what? They couldn't do it apart from him, but here's the good news. What's the last thing he said to them in Matthew? The very last thing Jesus says before he leaves It's in Matthew chapter 28. And he says this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So he says in one part of the Word, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But then he tells them at the end, before he leaves, you're never going to be apart from me. So Jesus blesses the food and he gives it to the disciples, but then he has the disciples feed the people. Why? Because he's trying to show them, you guys, listen, I want to use you to answer questions. I want to use you to be the answer to something. I'll bless you, but it's not just so that you can run to me for more blessing. I'll bless you so that you can then bless other people. So he has to bless the food. In other words, he has to be involved. You can't do this alone. But you're not alone. Because he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. 
And if you're doing what he's called you to do, you can trust that he's with you and that he's already blessed everything that needs to be blessed. Now go and be faithful with what he's given you. So, so in mine and Patty's life, there were times where we didn't understand his heart towards us in providing for us the way we do now. And so, so there was a time where, where we needed new furniture and we, we couldn't even think of how we could buy new furniture. We had a discussion on our couch about needing furniture because our cushions were ripping off of the back of our couch and we'd lose stuff behind them. <laughs> like remotes would be back there and kids and everything else. <laughs> it just, it was a big hole. It wasn't like, you know, one of those little things where you just put a little blanket over it. The blanket would be down in the hole pretty soon if you did that. And uh, we, had a, we had guests over one time, and you're trying to move something, and we went to move a coffee table, and the leg that was propped up that didn't work anymore fell off, and then the table collapsed. <laughs> and, and it was like, we got, to, Patty, we got to a point where one night we're sitting on the couch, and Patty said, this is ridiculous. We're grown people. We should be able to buy furniture if we need it, and we need it. Like, it's falling apart. And... Uh, and, and this was the time where I actually <clears throat> said the right thing, and I said, "Honey, you think God doesn't know?" And um, and of course, she knows the answer to that. And I said, "He's aware of that." Like, and and the truth of the matter is, is we do need new furniture, and and I I, I just trust that we'll have it. Well, how? How are we going to do that? And she started pointing out all the reasons that we couldn't. You know, because we had kids in gymnastics and we had this and we had this and we needed to save for that. We needed to buy this and this was maybe more important than this and yada, yada, yada and all this stuff. And, and she started giving me all the reasons that we couldn't have new furniture. And I just looked there and I said, I know all that's true, but I also know that he loves us and he wants to provide for us. And if we need new furniture, if we need new furniture, we will have new furniture. Two days later, someone blessed us with a gift certificate to go buy brand new living room furniture now here's the thing that's an awesome story but if that doesn't change the way that we think moving forward then we've missed it because see what the disciples took with them from the time when jesus multiplied all the food was one loaf what they take enough for one day enough for what they needed in the moment but they didn't take with them the thing that would sustain them for the rest of the life of their lives which was the knowledge of him as the one who provides and if we take that story and we just have a cool story, but the next time we need something, we find ourselves in the same state of unbelief or the same state of lack of faith or the same state of panic, or we're going to Him and we're waking Him up and acting like He doesn't know or doesn't care, then we've missed the whole point of what He wanted to do with that. Because yes, He wanted to bless us, but He also wanted to reveal who He was to us so that going forward we actually understand who He is as provider. When a baby is hungry it cries why because it doesn't understand the heart of the parent towards them it doesn't understand that the parent actually cares about them eating more than they care about eating it doesn't understand that while they're sleeping mom is up praying over them and watching them and that mom wants to feed them and all mom wants to do is just take care of them and give them everything that they need. The baby doesn't have that revelation of the heart of a mother towards it. So when it gets hungry, it cries. But at some point, 
that baby has to gain a revelation of the fact that the parents actually love him and want to take care of him. And when he gets to a place where he's hungry, he doesn't start crying as if he's not going to be fed and thinking the parents have forgot about him. He can actually go to the parent. And then it goes to another level where he be, understands that he's a son and that everything belongs to him. And that if I'm hungry and there's food in the fridge, I can go to the fridge and I can eat the food. I don't have to run and wake up mom and dad and ask them if I can have something because I know their heart towards me and they would never want me to starve. This is what we have to get, you guys. We have to get this. Otherwise, we'll be people that can tell people stories about what God has done, but we'll have no faith for what he's doing in the moment and we'll never see ourselves as possibly the person he wants to use to meet those needs. God, I just thank you for that. I thank you that every circumstance we find ourselves in, God, that you've called us to be in. Listen to me. Make sure he told you to get in the boat. Make sure that you're in that boat in the middle of the ocean because he called you to be there. Otherwise, you might not want to go down and sleep. You might want to wake him up and go ask him, what am I supposed to be doing right now? Because obviously I'm not doing what you've called me to do. And maybe rather than sleeping... You're not there, like, you don't have the peace of Jesus because you're actually Jonah. And you're only on the boat because of disobedience. That's a whole different story. At that point, it's not time to sleep, it's time to repent. But if you're in the boat because He called you to get into the boat, then you need to be able to get to a place where you say, God, I know that you told me to get in this boat and I know where you told me to go and right now, everything around me looks the opposite of what you've said, but I trust you. And I'm not going to act like you don't know and I'm not going to act like you don't care, so I'm going to go to sleep with you. I'm going to rest in you in this season and trust that I will be where you want me to be because I'm doing what you've called me to do. God, I just thank You for that. I thank You that we can know You. God, that we can hear Your voice. That we can find ourselves in situations, God, where You've called us to be because You've called us to be there. Father, I just ask that we would begin to see ourselves the way You see us, God. That we wouldn't just take a cool story, but that it would actually change the way that we think the next time we encounter something, God. So that we wouldn't be asked that question of You. Why is it that you have no faith. You guys, listen, at one point, he even asked them, why are you still hard-hearted? What he's saying is this, what I've done hasn't changed your heart at all. It provided food for you in the moment. It provided food for the crowds. But it didn't do what I ultimately wanted it to do because it didn't change your heart in the least. God, never let our hearts be hardened to the point where when we see You and when You reveal Yourself that it doesn't change the way that we think, God. I just thank You for that, God. I thank You that we can know You. God, I ask that if there's any foolish or wicked thinking that we've held on to, that we would abandon it and that we would actually believe that Your ways are higher and Your thoughts are higher and that they're worth exchanging anything less than for. I thank You for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.